in today's episode of Food Revolution. I think food does need to have a little activist component to it because you can vote with your dollars. When you do choose to eat a certain way, not only does it affect your own personal health and wellness, mental, physical health, but it also contributes to a greater industry shift and an economic shift. And a passion that goes beyond just the ingredients. You know what, 20 years from now, I hope nobody even talks about the fact that we ever sold gluten-free baking mixes. Right. <laughs> I hope they talk about the fact that we've changed the way Just we approach. changed the world. With our guest, Joni Kenwald-Moore. She also talks about how her soul's purpose recharges her energy weeks where you're just beat down and you get you lose your mojo but I usually go out into the woods with the kids and that's when the universe says get up your job's not done and it might not be easy that's not the point get up and get back to work welcome to IntelliKey Leadership Stories here's your host Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson We've got a great program for you today, a great story about an entrepreneur and leader and a conscious company really doing well for the world as well as for business. And welcome back to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. My co-host is Kirsten Goldie. Hello, Mark. I'm so excited that we're doing this again today. Yeah, and I tell you, just as we were kicking things off here, I'm working in my home office. Kirsten is on the road in a remote location, and our guest, Joni, <laughs> is at a coffee shop with kids and espresso grinders, and, and we just laugh that this is the world we live in in, in 2020. So we're Certainly, just so yeah. glad to have you with us. Joni Kenwell. Paul Moore is the founder and CEO of a great company called Snacktivist. And uh, we'll get into both the name and the mission as we go along. Kirsten, we were talking that there's a lot of podcasts out there on entrepreneurship and financing of companies and how to build companies and certainly how to make thousands of dollars by four o'clock this afternoon. Um, and I think that's a real podcast. <laughs> but, but, I, but there's not many out there that say how to grow a company that has a meaningful mission and can impact the world. Is that more important these days than ever? Yeah. You know, in the last two weeks, every one of my clients are either in the process of being in Main Street, Main Street, stream, Main Street and mainstream corporate America. And they're just unfulfilled and they're tired of the human not being an asset or treated as if it's valuable. And then those that have made the transition, very similar to myself, right? Where we, I came out of Wall Street and I'm now fully transitioned into my new life, the, the life that I chose to design that is aligned with value systems that matter, that matter for myself and for humanity and for the children that will be coming in the future. Those clients that have made the transition, yes, money matters, but it's not the only component. So my clients are no longer emulating what who you would think, like the Warren Buffetts, who you would think they would emulate. They're looking to build wealth based off of fair trade. I have a client whose father owns a coffee distribution from Colombia, but it's fair trade. It's organic. It's helping the community. It's not taking from the community. I mean, it's different. These The younger generation want, has values and the older generation is tired of not they're going incongruent with who they really are because they have values. They just can't do it anymore. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for that background. And I think with that context, Joni, let's bring you into the conversation. <laughs> Tell us about your company, Snacktivist, and really the genesis of the idea 
Well, it's fun because just what Kristen said already, I just wanted to have go there in a conversation with her because there's just so many things that you just hit on that really strike a nerve and play into what our motivations are as a enterprise, for-profit enterprise founders. So I founded a company called Snacktivist Foods, Snacktivist Inc., and we are a B Corp. So we do have it into our corporate fiduciary duty is that uh, profits people and planet all play an equal part in the, everything that we do. And we are a food company that believes that we can really build a better world through food and that food is one of the fundamental tools of bringing people together and building a better tomorrow for our kids and grandkids. Right now, we are food manufacturers, so we make a line of products. And our current line that we're focusing on growing is a line of baking mixes and artisanal flours. That is a beachhead. Um, That's really where we're beginning, but it builds into a whole larger play that helps to kind of reinvent the grain and pulse vertical, which when you think about it on a global perspective, is responsible for the majority of calories worldwide for humans. And it's a very neglected part of the food system that doesn't get a lot of attention from the health and wellness industry. It's kind of been shunned and demonized. But when you think about it from like a global food accessibility standpoint, it's the pinnacle, it's the basis of human nutrition for most people. And it Mm. needs to be reinvented to be more sustainable, more healthy, more nutritionally dense, and uh, more energetically positive because it's, you know, it's what we, it's what we eat. Well, that's so good. And that energetically positive is so strong. Yeah. I, I just love the name Snacktivist. I mean, there is this activism revolution yeah. in yeah. your voice even. I feel it coming through. Tell us more about that part of it. Well, when I first thought of the name for the company, I actually had heard it from some other bloggers that were out in the food and nutrition world. And they were moms that were activists for better nutrition for kids. And it just kept resonating with me, even though the word activist can sometimes have a negative connotation with some people. It can be a little bit arresting, you know, snacktivist. They're like, oh gosh, are we going to be friendly or are you going to fight me? <laughs> and, um, but we think food and, and eating does need to have a little activist component to it because you can vote with your dollars when you consume food. And when you do choose to eat a certain way, not only does it affect your own personal health and wellness, mental, physical health, both, but it also contributes to a greater industry shift and an economic shift that has a ripple effect into multiple segments and verticals. So from manufacturing to farming to distribution to independent retailers, I mean, it's food is one of those things that it's an action that is very activist oriented if you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Now, obviously, there's a bit of a David and Goliath piece of this story too, right? Because oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you're, you're only trying to change the food industry <laughs> and the, um, the supply yeah. chain from the farm, you know, to yes. my kitchen table. Tell me about that effort. That has been a huge learning experience. And in fact, along this way, you know, we really toyed with some other innovative ideas that were more technology-based that would help to disrupt a lot of the supply chain inherent structuring of the supply chain, you know, distribution, networking, et cetera. And there's a lot of work to be done there. I'm still very passionate about that. But what we decided was that by building a actual consumer facing brand, it helps to champion the movement in a way that people start to understand what their connection is to food and how it impacts not only 
their bodies, but the, the environment in which we live and in our planet. So yeah, these are huge, huge systems that have been around for hundreds of years. I mean, the, the major dominating forces that run the grain vertical are five global companies. They're all billion dollar multinational companies and they are very very centralized. So they have a very intense stranglehold on the whole industry. So, you know, we're really up against a massive shift here, but it's very important. Well, exactly. <laughs> so, to that point, yes. a statement, you know, those who control the water and the food sources control the world, right? Yes. And you just really spoke to a huge point yeah. um, about these five global companies owning the entire food system source. Yeah. And in COVID-19, in the political unrest globally, Germany, England, the United States, right? it's not just here. It's everywhere. everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the environment shifting, food sources are becoming almost wiped out, eradicated. Yes. So this revolution that you're creating is so important. But I, I want to touch on something because you said something. When you use the word activist, it's like we shame those who are choosing to rise for the betterment of everyone. And it's an implanted hatred. Yeah. Because you're going after those who control the world. I mean, I know it sounds so, you know, it sounds like a movie, but that's really what's happening. Yeah, it is really what's happening. And they're not cool with it. I'll tell you that. It's, uh, It's fairly hostile out there. And if you are trying to initiate a revolution that's going to disrupt the way an entire billion dollar global vertical operates... It's a it's a massive shift. It's not something that you just go, hey, let's start, you know, let's yeah. start. From now on, we're going to do it this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and, and in fact, it, it's almost like what we, we've decided we need to do is just start building our own bridge and start building a new way of doing things. And then eventually it'll create its own momentum. And so rather than disrupting, you're almost kind of reimagining and then making it come to life, like a new way of doing this whole industry, which facilitates seed sovereignty and facilitates like food that is not dependent on chemical inputs and facilitates food that is regenerative, that starts to create its own ecological and agroecological environment that isn't as um, extractive and it's not as reliant on outside inputs that are manufactured a world away in a factory in China or India or somewhere else. Or even the U.S. Yeah. I I was telling Mark this morning, I'm here in Wisconsin, which I'm Mm -hmm. thrilled to be here. I'm kind of traveling the United States during COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, However, um, I love cheese, but I can't eat non-organic cheese. I have to primarily eat goat cheese because what Mm -hmm. happens the minute I eat it, within two days, I break out. And I don't break yeah, out. Yeah. Here we are in this beautiful country with farmland everywhere. I can't even buy organic vegetables. The farms do not yeah. sell, or they sell fresh vegetables. There's no organic vegetables. And the cows, there's no grazing cows. You don't see any on the land. I, yeah, and I'm yeah. wondering, I, this is farm country, this is cow country. Where are yeah. the cows? So you're really talking about this regenerative, healthy 
Yeah. Sustainable. So here I am eating this cheese that I love. I can't eat it anymore. And I'm in the heart of the Yeah. And you're not alone, Kristen. So many people are finding that they're reacting adversely to foods. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think of us as a company that makes gluten-free food because we do make gluten-free foods out of ancient grains, but we're not out to demonize gluten per se is that, you know, people need foods like this. And a lot of people have lost the ability to tolerate wheat products, especially over the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. And And to speak to that, right? Why? Because it's the amount of chemicals that have been added, right? You eat Italian flour, yeah. They have gluten intolerance, right? Yeah. They don't yeah. have pesticides in the, the chemicals in the flour. Yeah, it's it's really remarkable. I remember um, my husband and I and our kids were in northern Africa and we were exploring a lot of the UNESCO World Heritage Sites that preserved the ancient granaries of the Berber Empire and then what became the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire grew a lot of their wheat in North Africa and across Tunisia and Algeria. And we tolerated the wheat really well there. And you'd just stop at a little roadside somebody's house and they'd have fresh ground wheat flatbreads and a little bit of fresh pressed olive oil and it's what they live on. And got home and went and got some bread and what do you know, boom, eczema immediately and just all the things that have made me unable to eat a lot of wheat since I was a high schooler trying to drive combine, you know, because that was the best money in high school. If you're a farm kid from Oregon, (laughs) that's what you did. And I would just get head to toe hives and my eyes would swell shut and that would be the end of it. So. I think that there's something that we're overlooking. And I think that the, the the diet trends in the United States the last five, 10 years have really focused on demonizing a food group being gluten or anything containing gluten. But there's just such, there's so much more at play there when it has to do with the chemicals and the way things are grown and the hybridization. And I, I'm not against hybridization of, of, of plants by any means, but we really need to always be engineering all of our food crops for human consumption, for nutrition and and for qualities that make us healthy rather than just yield or the ability to tolerate a higher dose of glyphosate. You know, like it's just our breeding programs have been breeding for certain values that I don't align with as a consumer. And, so and we need to retake the that. Consumer, uh, you know, is there this disruption is hard. You're taking yeah. on, you know, five uh, multinational companies. But, but is there a wave of consumer awareness? Of oh, yeah. People who say, well, maybe I do need to rethink what I put in my body. Again, yeah. both nutrition and energy uh, speaking. Yeah, there's a huge wave. I mean, it's a massive consumer movement globally, in fact. And so no doubt about it. I think the average person is aware that there is something wrong with our food and we need to do something about it. But what a lot of people don't realize is that there's all these other things that we're worried about that also play into our food that go beyond just health and whether we feel good or not in the morning. And, you know, like for instance, people always post things about the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. There's a giant dead zone, but we don't make the connection that it's the food and our, and our consumer choices and our, the way that we're feeding our planet is what's killing the, the, the Gulf of Mexico. It's that runoff coming down the Mississippi. And what is the dead zone? Just I'm not aware of what it is. Yeah. So there is a large area in the Gulf of Mexico that it's the pH is so off and the, the, the way that the gases and things have, because the pH is off, that drives all the other chemistry. It, it's a dead zone to where if schools of fishes go into it, they all die and they just find these giant floating dead zones where there's nothing living in it. Well, there probably are things living in it because, you know, especially 
bacteriums and things like that are pretty resilient. But the typical fisheries and things that we've witnessed in our normal intact biological systems are very sensitive to these dead zones. And they're really driven by chemicals coming and, and soil runoff coming from agricultural areas. And then that affects our air. And then that affects climate, which makes it even harder to grow food. And then we end up with all these other crazy changes with our world that it's like, you start to realize everything's very connected and that if we just focus on cleaning up our food system, it could take care of not only health issues, but some significant environmental issues and significant rural economic issues as well. And all the hydrology, and this is one reason we're really passionate as activists about adding human consumption value to diversified cereal and pulse crops, is that when we start to build the soil of our agricultural lands, they become like reservoirs that can help balance all these other cycles of like water and even exchange of carbon in and out of the atmosphere. They can become carbon reserves. And when you start to stand back, the further you stand back and look, the bigger the imprint is. And you think, okay, this is so important. If this doesn't happen, the UN might be right. We might only have 60 harvests left. That's what they said last year. So it's my Yeah, my kids will be adults. You know, my grandkids will be young adults. It's like, okay, I'm I'm gonna die trying, darn it. Like (laughs) and I think for profit enterprises can have insane impacts because it can change consumer consumption patterns. Well, let's uh, go there then. Uh, So you decide with this passion to start a company and Mm -hmm. now you got to fund it though. I mean, companies, before you make money, you got to spend some money. That's what I hear anyway. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I wish that weren't true, but it, it is. And, you know, being a farm kid, like, you know, growing up very resourceful and very thrifty, you think, oh yeah, you know, Boulder Investment Group says you need at least $8 million to even be a player we can do this for so much less. <laughs> well, you know, you, you do start to realize you, it is a pay-to-play world. And I'm really very blessed to have experienced executive t- team to be working with that truly understands this world and the, the cost of doing business to make an impact in, you know, whether it be retail or e-commerce or food service, whatever channel you decide to go after, it does require significant financial investment. Unfortunately, um, not a, pe- a lot of people understand the whole picture. And so for conventional investors that are just like, hey, we want to invest in the newest widget. We want a 10x return in three years and we don't really care what it affects. We don't care about the mission. We just want it to be profitable. It's that takes out a, a huge pool of a conventional investors. And hey, that's fine. I mean, that's their job. If they're an investor, their job is ROI. And and I'm not dogging them for that, but it makes it hard to really find the investors that align with what we're doing, where we are going to be profitable, but we need this initial cash investment. And food is not sexy. CPG is a, is a tough and a longer turn. So, you know, the investors that are looking for a 10x in two to three years are not going to put their money into something like CPG, where you're going to get a larger return potentially, but it's going to be like closer to a six to eight year run. And Kirsten, you must be having some uh, flashbacks. I mean, we've often laughed about all the elevator pitches, the investor days, the slide decks, the you have 10 minutes to tell your whole life story uh, to get the money. That's my uh, world right now. (laughs) That's my world right now. I'm like, uh, yeah. I think what's changing, Mark and Joni, is that I think it's not just the 
people who want out of corporate, I think investors are done also, right? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, there are some who are going to always be for the money, but there mm -hmm. is a conscious awakening. Yeah. Is becoming extinct in true reality. And mm -hmm. there are some people who really get the gravity of that and actually care about that. Yeah. More and more all the time, for sure. More all the time. So, And I do think there is, and it's slow, it's almost a painful yeah. slow, but there is a shift where more and more investors mm -hmm. are actually willing to take a longer term cycle because it's not so much about the turn of the yeah. dollar because they already have the profit. They want to start, people are scared of, you know, what happens when I die? I mean, there's some karmic retribution there, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because my big conversation right now is neutrality and apathy. That's yeah. the deadliest killer. So if you go to your grave neutral and having not done anything, uh, it's worse than the person that did it. You know, you're absolutely right, Kristen, because I was a nurse for 14 years and I've been the last person many people talk to in life. Like I have been the last person who ever talked to them. I can't even count how many times. You, you glean a lot from end of life conversations from people that are like, they never say they, they wish they wouldn't have tried harder to make the world a better place. Like never once did I hear that. I frequently heard people going, I wish I were, would have worked less or spent more time working on meaningful projects. Mm -hmm. Yep. So when you're out there on the road making these pitches, are you finding the kind of investors that Kirsten's talking about where they really want to make a difference, not just make a buck? Slowly, yes. I mean, more and more. But a lot of the times they're held to a fiduciary duty if it's a fund or if it's a group where there's multiple investors coming behind the money. And so they really have to be personally responsible for the use of the, the money. And that makes it a little bit trickier. It's been tough with COVID because the typical events that we had going on aren't, aren't going on. You can't meet with people in person. Everything's video. So if you're having any connectivity issues, suddenly your pitch goes from could be great to really, really poor because just technology gets in the way. And then when you're pitching food, at the end of the day, it has a taste good. And if people can taste our food, they are excited about it because they realize like, wow, not only is this healthy and sustainable, this is like great stuff. People, people love it. If you can't try it, I think people always think, oh, hip, like, bunny food that never is good you know yeah. and uh and, i'm not and, gonna eat the cardboard yeah yeah they're like something's got to be wrong with it if it's got all these other cool things going on like health and impact and sustainability but um at the end of the day it's really delicious and it performs well and people love it you know there it's just been it's been tough to connect to be totally honest so you're trying to some creative things then you have a crowdsourcing uh, yes. fundraising tell us yeah. about that so we launched a campaign on the iFund Women platform, which is, it's out of New York City and it's an amazing organization. They really are there just to promote women founded and women led companies and help them reach their financial goals. Uh, they offer consulting and coaching and, and then they have a crowdfunding platform that it's great because unlike some other crowdfunding platforms that aren't quite as many strings attached. Like if your contributors come and make a donation, it, it gets deposited by PayPal in your bank the next day. It's not, there's not all the caveats that with some of the other crowdfunding campaigns and, and then you can leave them a tip, but it's not like this big obligatory cash cow to the hosting organization. So that's been fabulous. It's been a great way to tell our mission brought more broadly. Because when you are a food brand and you do sell, say, for instance, gluten-free baking mixes, it's really easy to get put into a, a, a box that, oh, hey, here's this company. They sell gluten-free 
baking mixes. And it's like, you know what, 20 years from now, I hope nobody even talks about the fact that we ever sold gluten-free baking mixes. <laughs> I hope they talk about the fact that we like changed the way Just we approach the world. Right. That we've, yeah. Like that we, we changed the way that this whole, like we approach our grains and our legumes and that we made measurable impacts on other grain-based foods. Like I always say, gosh, I'll know that we've really made a difference someday when I see an advertisement and McDonald's is is starting to serve like a regenerative wheat bun. I mean, you never know. It could happen. And that would be amazing if it did. Yeah. yeah. So, well, the crowdfunding thing is terrific. And uh, I don't know if the SEC rules require that I full disclosure that I've actually contributed. So <laughs> thank you for that. By I the hope way. there's no conflict of it. No, but I think, you know, it's an idea. Just for our audience, because I can tell you every millennial and younger, this is the top conversation. They all want sustainable farms and yeah they want and the whole conversation is mycology I can tell you I have been forged I'm learning more about mycology right now and yeah. but, you know it just it's huge oh mycology is everything at a soil level oh <laughs> yeah. this whole thing is yeah. amazing so how much are you raising and how can they find you we're raising 25,000 and if you go to ifundwomen.com and look up snacktivist foods or if you go to snacktivistfoods.com there is a pop-up that will take you right to our crowdfunding campaign and there's a great video you can click on where you can learn more about our broader mission and our product lines. I would direct people to go to snacktivistfoods.com and click on the crowdfunding link there. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I do encourage people to look around in the iFund Women campaign because there are a number of fabulous projects out there that I've gotten, I've become supporters of other women on the platform, just finding things that really resonate with me. And they're all very important and impactful companies. That's That's amazing. And do you do distribute internationally as well? Yeah. So right now uh, we are focused just on domestic, but we went to Korea last fall and we were working on a Korean export plan for our products that got halted with COVID. Just the project got put on hold, but we're going to revisit it next year. Amazing. And then and then looking to expand our Amazon reach. The cool thing for us about Amazon is that it's a great consumer discovery platform because if somebody stumbles upon our product there, there's a lot of information where they can start to learn about what our mission is, that we're not just another food product just there. You know, there's videos embedded and they can learn more about what we're doing. And then you can reach Canada, Mexico, Europe, at just through Amazon itself. So we're going to be expanding our Amazon reach this winter. And where are you headquartered? And where do you manufacture your product? Our products actually come through partnerships with contract manufacturers based in Washington and Idaho. And our corporate headquarters are in Coeur d'Alene. We have a great little commercial facility in Post Falls, Idaho. And that's where a lot of small fulfillment and all of our R&D happens there as well. That's terrific. Well, I've loved the conversation that is deep, deep, deep in science. We're talking about food supply chain. We even got yeah. a little uh, you know, history of the world with the you know, <laughs> <laughs> how grains were born and used in yeah. Africa. Yeah. What, what about you? How do you keep this mission alive inside of you? How do you keep your motivation? We would be remiss in a program about IntelliKey not to ask, how do you maintain your, your potential and your purpose? Well, I eat good food. I have a good diet and try to get out in nature as much as possible, spend time with my kids. And it is really hard, I'll be honest, being a founder of a startup especially a cash strapped startup, it is, um, it, th- there are some significant life hurdles. It's not the easy way to go. I don't think most people would probably 
enjoy it. But um, my husband and I are kind of suckers for adventure and we're both very impact driven people. He's amazing. And he's also one of those people that many years in nursing, uh, many end of life conversations with people. And he's like, I'm not going down without making a dent on the world and making it a better place. And we're very resolute in that. And we're raising our kids to think like that, that they have a responsibility that goes along with the privilege of being born in a beautiful place like Idaho with a family that supports them and they've got food on the table and their job and their responsibility is that they need to contribute to make the world a better place for everybody. At the end of the day, when you kind of lose motivation and, and you do, you have those weeks where you're just beat down and you get, you lose your mojo. But I usually go out into the woods with the kids and get out in nature. And that's when the universe says, get up, your job's not done. And it might not be easy. That's not the point. Get up and get back to work. (laughs) So inspiring. (laughs) It's definitely the road less traveled. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see why it's, there's not a lot of glamour to be totally honest. A lot of late nights, a lot of missed weekends, but you know, you just, you don't waste your time on things that don't matter when you're in my position. So you don't catch me catching up on Netflix very often and things like that. But when I do get a time away from work, I am very deliberate about time with family, time with friends or time in nature. And is it easier to hear the universe giving you those messages you know yeah. when you're out in the woods rather than oh yeah in the absolutely thick of it, right? oh gosh yeah when you're in the thick of it you can't hear much at all <laughs> when you're staring at a computer for 12 hours a day you really can't hear so yeah you just kind of get out there and see how amazing the world is and see the good in people you know humans deserve better and the world deserves better and it's it's our job to contribute to that better when did you know like, what was the defining moment? Mark, what's the question you always ask? You have a great question that you ask every guest. I think I worded the fork in the road. You could have stayed in nursing, for example. You yeah. could have pursued some other business career. You could have done a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You were at this fork in the road. Why did you pick this direction? I don't know. I've grappled with that question a lot, actually. <laughs> Especially like, in those low I, moments. What was I thinking? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm the descendants of poor Swedish and Norwegian farmers. I mean, for generations and generations and generations, that's what my family always did back in Norway and Sweden and really under terrible conditions. And so I think the connection to agriculture and the connection to the earth has just always been there. Yeah, I think that one of the early forks in the road brings me back to my first career where I was uh, involved with, I, I have a degree in botany and I was I'm involved with ethnopharmacology and ethnobotany. So studying the way that people use plants and we were develop, working on developing pharmaceuticals from them in the nineties. But um, I, I had the chance and it was an amazing opportunity to go spend some time in the Amazon with leading researchers and doctors and shaman and all this stuff. I was sitting talking to the shaman with several other people and he was like, you guys are funny. I mean, if you'd put half the effort into focusing on what you were putting in your bodies, you wouldn't need to spend all this effort flying around the world to talk to us about cures, you know? And it was really like, oh, okay, here we're so focused on like curing all these diseases where a lot of them really could be prevented through high quality foods. And just getting back to the basics with clean food and clean eating. And and then we could really be experts in medicine because we have amazing technology, and and, um, but we wouldn't be wasting all our time on chronic diseases that are diet related. We could put all that work towards um, things that are truly, you know, medical anomalies or trauma. I mean, everything has a place in this world, including herbicides and pesticides and fertilizers, but it's just, we need to stand back and really rethink, is this benefiting us? Is it benefiting our health? Is it benefiting the planet? And is it profitable to the average person? And that's the thing is when you have highly centralized industries like that, they're not good for our health. They're not good for our planet. And they're not good for economics. Because if you look at the state of rural 
economics right now in our country over the last 50 years, it's cataclysmic. And they're food deserts, like you said. <laughs> like, yeah. and so no, that's how, the hard part. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Like, it just is counterintuitive. And I grew up in a rural community, on, in a farming community, and I just, I have serious ethical issues. My generation left the farm, and uh, we need to bring our farmers back. And they're not going to do it if it's not profitable, and it's not clean, and it's not doing something special. So, And it's not big business. Yeah. I mean, really look at it. The mm-hmm. farms are the largest federal subsidy. Yeah. And it goes to the propagation of farming that the youth doesn't want to do, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It doesn't resonate with the next generation of farmers. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I've watched many films where the waterways are actually owned by these large corporations and the farmers can't even access the water for their farm. It's it's really crazy because the more you start to research all of those kind of situations that are going on, you start to really say, is this some sort of strange movie? This can't be happening in the United States of America. Why aren't people more upset about this? It's baffling to me. I I just, I have a hard time understanding it. That's where we said, hey, I was on a nonprofit for a long time on the board and it was food systems activism and stuff. And I just started going, you know what? We have all the nonprofits in the world. We can have all the government recommendations in the world, but what we need is things that move the needle. And I think for-profit enterprises that are consumer facing really start to help to move the needle because it makes it real. Farmers will change their farming methods if there's a financial incentive to do so. And, and, and there's a path to market. And that's the thing with this domination in the grain sector is that even farmers that I know who really want to change, they don't have path to market. Their family farms sold to the same farm sales guy for the last 50 years and they don't even know what else to do. And so we really feel like that's something that needs to happen. And, and whether or not that's our end game as an activist, I don't know because that's a whole nother business. And we're really focused on the consumer facing part. So that would probably be more of a partnership with an aligned company, which we have some cooking partnerships with aligned companies like that going on. But then we start to really make a ripple effect. And then every time someone goes to the store and they decide to pick up a box of Snacktivist crackers made from sorghum, they're like, hey, wow, this just impacted a, a family farm in Kansas that's trying to be more ecologically sustainable and regenerative in their farming practices. And maybe that dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico will someday be able to repair itself. Yeah, big ripples, big waves. Mm-hmm. Joni, it's so inspiring and really motivational to talk to Thanks. you. I mean, you know, it really, because we talk all the time, Kirsten and I, about people who have their missions and belief statements and all these things, but then it's so hard to put it into action. And yeah, I'm just so impressed with the, the, <laughs> what you're doing personally, but also with the team. I mean, our podcast is all about this intersection of business and life because I, like you said, for better or worse, they're, they're pretty closely tied. Uh, yeah. We don't always have that separation. Yeah, they're really closely tied. But you know, at the end of the day, food is really what brought humans together. When we, when we went from being hunter-gatherer, nomadic people, it was food that unified the first large civilizations of people. And in my mind, it will be food that continues to unite us into the future and to build a better world. That's great. Well, leave us with a message to the food consumer then. What should we know as a food consumer? I just think for food consumers, which is everybody, there's no one in the world who's not a food consumer, just to, you know, just to stop and think about the foods that you're buying. And, you know, for many of us, we're 
we're financially constrained. We don't have a lot of money. We can't just go to Whole Foods and feed our families. But there's a lot of little things that we can do that impact and make our purchasing dollars count. And so I think for the, um, for the average consumer, just to even stop and think is the first step. And stopping and thinking, suddenly the learning curve gets to be tremendous because every time you pick up a package of something, you're like, where'd this come from? Who owns this company? Kind of do a little double check, maybe try Googling things um, more often and just start to be informed consumers. And it's it's not a radical thing. It's little baby steps every day. You know, I think people get overwhelmed and then they check out and then they're apathetic. And where I'm like, hey, just pick one thing that you're going to improve and start with that. Let it be milk or cheese or say, oh, you know, my family is going to work on improving the quality of our rice, whatever. That's a great place to start, you know. (laughs) But unfortunately, until the system's normalized, for most people, it's financially prohibitive to eat in a really clean manner. And that's something that we should be, talk about government subsidies. That's where the subsidies should be happening. Very good point. We'd save a lot of money on healthcare if we did that. (laughs) So many benefits all the way around. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Our guest has been Joni Kenwald-Moore, founder and CEO of Snacktivist Foods. Great mission, great purpose, and what an enjoyable conversation we've had. Yeah, we could go on for hours, I'm sure. (laughs) And we will do it again. Okay, I would love it. That would be, even if it's not recorded and we're just talking for fun, I would love that. We touched on a dozen topics, right, Kirsten? And it always happens. We, We always, we start the tape and we go, well, I hope this lasts more than 15 minutes. And then an hour later, we go, wow, what an amazing yes. conversation. Absolutely. So it was a pleasure, you guys. It, a real pleasure. Always always wonderful to talk to informed people who are interested in learning more about the world. Well, Kirsten, what a great episode this was. And again, somebody who's doing great things in business, but an amazing person building a life, a family. I loved how she was instilling these same values in the children, thinking about the grandchildren. And all I can say is, oh my gosh, (laughs) thank God she's doing it. I do reflect back on how many guests have talked about the impact of their play. It's not just to get the balance sheet to look good, you know, or it's not just to raise more money or sell a company, but rather to change the world. Change the world. And I I remember B, 25,000, that's all you wanted? Yes. Right? Like that's it? That's all you're asking for that farm? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Didn't make an impact? Let's get it done. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. It's been another great episode and we'll be back next week with another interview. A person making a great impact just like this. We'll hear about their journey. We'll hear about their mission. And most of all, we'll hear about their practices as they pursue their soul's purpose. And that's what really IntelliKey is all about. So until then, here's to you and your IntelliKey as you advance your purpose in your own business and life. Take care. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our websites, www.pureintelliKey.com and www.mark-stenson.com. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories.